And turning to some breaking news, we have just learned that a formal lab has confirmed the suspicion that that white powdery substance found in the West Wing on Sunday was, in fact, positive for cocaine. The discovery led to a brief evacuation of the White House Sunday night. Joining us now is NBC White House correspondent Mike Memoli. So, Mike, where do things stand now? This is so unusual. You and I have covered the White House for years. I can't even fathom anything like this having been found before in the West Wing. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds-on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with them. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. You got Michael Duncan here. No Josh Holmes. That's right. We're, we're lean, we're mean, and we're going to have a hell of a good episode today. Well, it's, it, there's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover. We're good friends here sitting together, and we miss our pal Josh Holmes, but we're going to do the best we can without him. Yeah, hopefully we can get it done without him today. We got a lot of news, like Smug said. Uh, obviously, uh, some really great news coming out of the White House here, this cocaine story, uh, <laughs> which is uh, absolutely, absolutely wild. If you, you happen to miss it here from the New York Post— title here is substance found in white house west wing test positive for cocaine yeah (laughs) gosh i don't know who Mm, i'm trying to remember the name of this guy who's got this terrible drug problem who happens to be the son of the president hmm and like a couple days earlier a news story comes out about them smoking crack driving 170 miles an hour like is there any sort of a connection here and but, (laughs) but but like the blowback from the media immediately was like don't say this is Hunter Biden's. Yeah. He, why would you jump to that conclusion? Yeah, it's yeah. an outrage. You would suggest that a person who wrote a book about their addiction to cocaine. Yeah, I'm sure. Who suggests is in possession of cocaine. I'm sure it was some teacher uh, taking her eighth eighth grade class field trip to the 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 White House was uh, you know had a little bit of cocaine in her pocket. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm sure that's that's what happened. You know, everybody takes a little cocaine on the the White House tour. What I thought was funny was the AP headline that just came out a little bit ago. It was. Suspicious powder found at the White House when Biden was gone was cocaine. <laughs> They're just yeah. absolving. They can't, they can't this help. wasn't Joe Biden. Joe Biden wasn't there. Just so you know, we're doing rapid response for the White House. Right. Yeah. You know, when the president's gone, guys, you got a little cocaine party. These things happen in the West Wing. What can you do? Um, I mean, unbelievable here. More from uh, the Politico uh, story on the subject. A White House cocaine culprit unlikely to be found. Law enforcement official. I love how they just say that ahead of time. They're like, well, we found cocaine where the Bidens live, and, you know, we're not going to find who's responsible. Um, um, guys, the Washington Post clarifies they their headline is that cocaine was found near where guests enter the White House. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're shifting the blame, again, away from the Biden family and toward people who are just regular Americans but, entering the White House. I mean, I, I've taken a, a, a White House tour before. I'm sure you guys have at some point, or you had family in town and you took them there. There's like three levels of security to get in there for a base, yeah. like a tour, mm-hmm. right? Plus, you, you, you know, you're, you're going through the machines, you're emptying your pockets. You're telling me they really want us to believe that some tourist came in there and dropped a bag of cocaine. And also, don't forget, like, at the entryway, there's that room where, you know, you've got the dogs in the middle yeah. that you walk past. How the hell would you get it past the, like, drug and bomb-sniffing dog? <laughs> it, it seems like you'd have to be someone who can get things in there without the Secret Service always searching them as if they were a guest, you Yeah, know? it could be the guy who does 170 miles an hour while smoking crack. Possibly. That's, I mean, if, you know, if you want to go ahead and point some fingers, I'd say it probably is that guy. Anyway. And, and one, one quick point. So Tom Fitton sent this tweet out where it was perfectly lays out what's been going on. It says, weird how White House leaks on where the cocaine was found keep on changing. From the library to a, quote, work area to now, quote, near where, quote, guests leave their cell phones. Like, this thing is on the move of where they're trying to, like, place this. It's going to be like Professor Plum in the library yeah. doing lines <laughs> off a candlestick. Where guests put their phones, like some drug dealer with a burner cricket mobile put his phone <laughs> yeah. down. It's unbelievable. 
Well, as uh, the White House and the liberal media blames everything on you, our listeners, we encourage you to look at the C-SPAN tape of the first family as they took in the fireworks from their balcony on the 4th of July. Just take a close look at Hunter Biden and watch his actions, watch what he does when he shifts behind the president, and just for yourself think maybe maybe it wasn't a teacher who was bringing her class <laughs> and think, sneaking cocaine. I saw that video. I think it was Howard Mortman who, who, who tweeted out this video. First off, the family looks incredibly awkward being out there on the balcony like hunter only has like some of his kids that he acknowledges he's like very sweaty and seems agitated he reaches towards his nostrils allegedly turns around, allegedly, allegedly. right know, allegedly a lot of weird stuff is happening in that video so i i agree I, everyone should go take a look at that many yeah, people are saying look at the tape as as the white house blames you look at the tape of them yeah yeah Perfect. Perfectly said. Yeah, well, my, my 4th of July wasn't nearly that cool. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have firefighters finding cocaine around the place? like no, no. I thought that was just a normal thing that happens in everyone's house. Yeah. <laughs> just the White House? Is that it? No, I took, um, I took our three-year-old to the Nats game, which was on at 11 a.m., which is uh, you know, earlier, earlier yeah. first pitch than, than most uh, baseball games. But 4th of July is sort of perfect. You can... Take him there, run him out, goes to the playground for a couple hours, and it's like 90 degrees out, so he goes home and takes a big nap, and then Dad has a nice afternoon. Perfect. What did you guys do? Well, we had a huge get-together at my wife's family's house. We had 85 people uh, swimming, sunburns, bug bites, hot dogs, fireworks. It was as American as you can get. And my nephew, I'm not kidding you, this is the greatest moment. We were just about to shoot off all the fireworks, and my nephew was like, guys, you got to tell me when you, before you shoot them off. And he goes sprinting in front of everybody, <laughs> holding an American flag, just running in front of, like, across this field. It yeah. was, it was so, he had, like, these Oakley glasses on that wrapped around his face. <laughs> nice. It was, he, I mean, this he's a great kid. He's a great kid. Smugglesworth, what'd you do? So, uh, the main part, I guess, was we, we went to dinner had like four or five different animals the highlight was was the duck just like an entire duck sliced up absolutely fantastic went to the rooftop saw the fireworks and that was it nice nice cool fourth of july good time it's awesome man that just sounds like a wonderful evening yeah five animals but i mean it was anything we could find that wasn't running <laughs> I was happy to eat on that day. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, well, it's Thursday, which means we got to get to the five stars. We always go to the voice first. Okay, so this first one comes from SC Minion, and it's titled, Is There Anything the Program Can't Do? And SC Minion writes, Fellas, like many recently minted minions, I found you through Megan Kelly. At about the same time, um, she, uh, at, at, um, excuse me, <clears throat> at about the time, uh, at about, okay. Oh God, we got problems. We got problems. <laughs> at about that time, we started back working in the office at least two days per week. I was faced with the prospect of once again, dealing with morning traffic, being Irish and Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blessed with a short fuse and inclination for, shall we say, overreaction. I found that listening to the program on my commute has provided such an enjoyable and informative diversion that the drive flies by. So thank you so much for providing a remedy for road rage. <laughs> nice. I now have episodes one through 300 on standby just in case. Thanks, SC Minion. P.S. During last week's discussion on the Titan Sun disappearance, I was surprised and quite frankly disappointed that the public that the possible connection to a rogue killer whale pods was not part of the conversation do better mm. <laughs> yeah that's right uh smug you want to take this next one sure this is from jason hardy it says charges for disney adults i already agree i've been listening to the program since discovering you guys on megan kelly several months ago thank you so much Another i always megan love kelly. hearing that yeah. love hearing that your charges segment had me dying in the gym and got me several odd looks I previously thought Disney adults were harmless until taking my four young kids to Disney last year. Oh, God bless you. Yeah. When we used our lightning lane pass to view one of the parades, I could not get my kids anywhere near the street as the entire front row was occupied by large Disney adults who refused <laughs> to move for any of the kids. Charges. 
I had to make my first purchase of merch from a podcast by buying a Charges t-shirt. Keep up the outstanding work, fellas. Thank you so much for that. That's and incredible. Again, that is, that's the heart of the problem. Like, what a scumbag move to be an adult taking up the front row so kids can't even oh, see the parade. You can't. Like, that's a place for kids. Get the hell in the back. Exactly. And, and not only to be an adult sitting in the front row, to be a fat adult sitting in the front <laughs> row. So you're taking up, like, three or four kids. Yeah. And being like, no, your children should not be enjoying Disney. It's not an inexpensive place to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, the, four young kids. Can you imagine yeah. how much that costs? It's, it's incredible. I mean, you know, you've taken your girls there. No, you cannot get out of there for less than thousands. Oof. I think I speak for the whole variety program when I, when I say, I think the, the first listener of the Ruthless Variety program who takes a picture in a Charges shirt in front of the Magic Kingdom gets a whole bunch of free merch. Yeah. I'm 100% with that. 100%. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll, I'll read this, this third one here. This is from ALTP, a banger program. Smug, soft on free market principles. Oh, let's hear this. Oh, we got a blast. We got a blast on Smug. The fellas give a banger of a program each week. However, I can't help but acknowledge Smug's soft on free market principles Southwest dance. It is the epitome of equal opportunity, not equal outcomes with tons of choices. Want a better seat? Be better at checking in on time. Instead of a few choices a la commie supermarkets, it's the bread aisle in a free market society. All jokes aside... The fellas put out banger after banger each week, and as I roam the Longworth basement, we always the Hill Staffer. I can't help but feel ghosts of the historic past. No, not of great legislators, but of young smash days before Christmas, <laughs> purchasing great blankets and traveling brooches. They are very cool to me, Ashbrook. Uh, no worry, brother. Keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. <laughs> this this is a very very good fan of the program that's outstanding yeah. this is a very this is one of our friends again it might not be free market but southwest really needs to be just like the containment area for people <laughs> who are terrible at flying like everyone who wants to throw a tantrum your kids are going crazy get on southwest that's the purpose oh man that's yeah i mean i can't argue with that you won me over with your last segment where you said we should just get rid of the seats yeah. and we should put hay in put there. hay down cattle prod them in there <laughs> Uh, so every Thursday, you know, we like to do the presidential roundup of who won the week. But first, let's get in some of these headlines. Uh, first here from MSN, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp considers what he really wants out of 2024. Insiders have noted Kemp's gradual cracking of the door as the presidential Trump challengers have floundered. In recent interviews, Kemp has publicly not ruled out a run for president and plugged in Republicans say that he hasn't taken the option off the table. Interesting. Mm. That is interesting, um, particularly with how well he did in Georgia last cycle and all of the sort of like murmuring behind the scenes about will he or won't he. And I just I wonder if maybe at the end of the day, you know, he, he watches watching closely and over the next few months, he's going to make a decision. Well, he's got an incredible political operation. We all learned that in the last cycle. Um, and, you know, I don't think I've been bashful about this and saying, like, if you were looking for someone to be a foil to Donald Trump with a track record of being like a conservative who's won a tough primary, someone like Brian Kemp's a, a great choice, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like, this is a guy who Trump endorsed his primary opponent, mm -hmm. you know, former Senator David Perdue, and then he won the thing by 50 freaking points. Yeah. Also, uh, I always think you bring up a really great point. I don't know if you said it on the show or just when we're hanging out, Duncan, but that a very important you know, factor to consider in which candidate you're supporting in this primary is, can they win Georgia? Right. Because that is, I mean, nothing gets off the ground if we don't win Georgia. Mm -hmm. That's key to anyone running for president. Uh, Donald Trump lost it in 2020. That was a huge problem. Uh, getting Georgia back in the win column is, is like step one. Yeah. And given Kemp's in like incredible success, I think that's a case that he can make. You know, if, when, when he's... When he's telling people if he decides to run, why he's doing it, I think that's like reason number one to put out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a, a, a constant tension we see in the presidential primary, right? Where it's like, you know, how do you animate um, the rural white working class voters who are so key to Donald Trump's, you know, constituency in 2016 and 2020, and also not get completely blown out in the suburbs where in raw vote totals, there's a huge amount of voters. 
And if, if, if you do as poorly as Trump had, had done there in 2020, it's very difficult to win a state like Georgia, where those suburbs around Atlanta, they make up such a huge percentage mm-hmm. of the overall vote, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, we're going to keep our eye on that. I think it's very interesting. We'll see where it goes. Uh, Gavin Newsom campaign, <laughs> campaigns for Biden in Idaho mm. and still insists he won't enter the 2024 race despite questions about president's health and poor poll numbers. Well, I don't think anybody should believe a single word that comes out of Gavin Newsom's mouth I don't, at, at, at any point. I mean, the guy, first of all, he's a Democrat. Second of all, he's from California. And he's in for, Idaho, of all places. Yeah, this, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Like, why would he be out there? It's, oh, so it says here in the article from the Daily Mail that he's focusing on visiting red states yeah, for okay. some reason. Okay. Yeah, just, just because. That's what governors of California do. The totally. guy wants to be the lady-in-waiting for Joe 100%. Biden. He, he absolutely, when Biden, if Biden can't do it, if he's not going to do it, he thinks that he's got a better shot at it than Kamala Harris. Do you think it's kind of like a PR play, like he's going to go into these deep red places and he's going to try to make news, so then the national media picks it up and they're like, oh, well, this guy, Gavin Newsom, he's going out there, he's trying different things, Joe Biden's stuck in the basement, that sort of thing? 100%. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting strategy. <laughs> I don't think it's going to work for him, but we'll see. Um, all right, so, fellas... As I said here at the beginning of the segment, we always pick a winner of the week uh, in the presidential campaign. Ashbrook, who do you got? Uh, You know, I don't know if you guys saw the parades in uh, New Hampshire over the weekend and over the holiday. Uh, Ron DeSantis picked up a lot of energy in these crowds. And, you know, I know Donald Trump had energy in South Carolina. It was very impressive, big crowds. But Ronnie D has been sort of the... Uh, whipping child in the last two or three weeks because a lot of people say his campaign hasn't been as organized as it should be. His outside group isn't doing what it needs to do. To do, but he did have some excitement in New Hampshire over the weekend, and he is, I think, had a had an up week. That's why I'm just going to say that Ron DeSantis had the had the win. Okay, and you you sort of mentioned it, Ashbrook, but I think uh, if I had to pick a winner of the week. I mean, look, based on that rally in South Carolina, I got to give it to Donald Trump, Mm. you know, and I think, you know, people were sort of qualifying it on Twitter saying, oh, this is an Independence Day event in this town and it's always big. And he just sort of piggybacked on that. Well, like, that's kind of that's called running a good campaign. Mm Yeah, that's called running a good campaign. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, not everything has to be out of the box. Your entire responsibility, you show up and you get in front of a crowd and they like you. That's sort of a good thing, yeah. right? And so, I, I mean, when you guys had La Savita on the show, I think what's what's been clear, and we all know Chris, um, you know, from previous campaigns, is that he's a very organized and diligent, you know, campaign operative mm-hmm. who puts together stuff like this in a way that is much more organized than previous Trump campaigns that we've seen. And for that reason, I got to give it to him. I think that's a really good point. I, uh, you know, the Trump campaign seems like it's a far more disciplined operation yeah. than it's been in his previous runs right now. Um, I, I, I want to give a little bit of a shout out because uh, I thought it was kind of innovative what Tim Scott tried. Did you guys see on the 4th of July? He had like a hashtag like Ask Tim Scott where, you know, he would pick, you know, random folks who, who would ask him a question with that hashtag. And uh, Ashley Henson even uh, in Iowa asked him a question. Awesome. Um, Love her. Yeah, and, and, and that's really great. It's, it's an innovative approach, but again, in terms of who won the week, I'd have to give it to Trump in terms of, like, you know, the South Carolina rally looked great. They just seem to be running a disciplined operation. I think the way that the polls are right now, I would feel like the other candidates need to do something, like, really rejigger it to get that attention and and, and just momentum going. But because that's, that's, it, that's such a tough thing to do in it the is. summer. It's, it's, it, it's a tough thing to do in the summer. Yeah. Like, 4th of July, you know, the same thing. Like, you know, it was an innovative idea. But 4th of July, to me, is a day that I think a lot of folks are kind of tuned out yeah. from from social media to begin with. And, and like you said, summer's the toughest time to try and shake things up. Well, yeah, and, and what's going to change between now and that first debate, right, mm-hmm. in this environment where people are traveling, they're taking their kids' places for the summer, kids are out of school. You know, it's not the best time uh, to, to find traction. I would say the one thing, though, that we're going to be looking forward to here over the next week or so mm-hmm. as we get to that July 15th deadline where all the FEC reports become mm-hmm. public is these campaigns are going to start announcing how much they raised in mm-hmm. Q2. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to be looking a lot at DeSantis. I know he's only in for, I think, six 
or seven, maybe seven, I don't know exactly, six or seven weeks of, of Q2. But if he posts a big number, it's going to be momentum. There's going to be stories. That's obviously good. But I think outside of that sort of dynamic, like the fundraising dynamic and stuff, you know, summers in the off year don't tend to be the biggest news-making events over the course of a campaign. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that's going to be riding on um, the first debate, and, and I, I agree. Up until then, it seems like the best opportunity to try to get attention. Yeah. Post a big big fundraising number for the second quarter. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, Libs want to block out the sun. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, is... we're not making this up. Yeah. Yeah. The I... only news that's going to be going on this summer is the Libs want to block out the sun. I could not believe this headline when I came across the transom the other day. I mean, it, it literally is a joke. Yeah. It... It's, it's a Simpsons episode. This is from Politico here. The headline is White House cautiously, cautiously, the White House cautiously opens the door to study blocking sun's rays to slow global warming. Yikes. I, I don't think they can build a pair of sunglasses big enough to cover the Atlantic to the Pacific. Maybe maybe <laughs> Joe Biden can do that, and maybe that's why Politico writes the term cautiously. Yeah. Do you because think that's I, because they know that they're going to be made fun of and then Politico's going to be made fun of? I think they know this sounds like a, a, a Bond villain pipe dream, like blocking out the sun. Like, think about how stupid an idea that is. Clearly stupid. And like in the political article, it says right here, the White House offered measured support for the idea of studying how to block sunlight from hitting Earth's surface as a way to limit global warming. Just like you can ask a, a, a four-year-old kid, does this sound like a good idea? You know, blocking out the sun, making everyone freeze to death and killing all the crops. You think that sounds like a great idea? <laughs> and and it, it just goes back to like this is, you know, these climate change people, it's a death cult. They really don't care about making a difference or helping people, their ideas, how do we make everyone suffer? Yes, we're fine with John Kerry and movie stars taking private jets, but everyone, you should get your straws taken away. Yeah. You know, they want to make the average person miserable, completely miserable. They're, they're mm -hmm. going to get all of us on solar panels. We're going to put them on the roofs of our houses, right? And they're going to have solar fields all across the country, and then they're going to block out yeah, the sun. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, it's unbelievable. Oh, man. Once I have some breaking news. Okay. Mm -hmm. This just broke. We were speaking of fundraising numbers. Yeah. Uh, the Trump campaign pulled in $35 million in the second quarter. That figure nearly doubled what he raised in Q1 and suggests that the indictments are helping with fundraising. That's wow. just from uh, wow. Alex Eisenstadt at How Politico. How about that? Can, can, um, I'll give you a minute here to read through that. I'm curious if that is the Trump campaign or if that's Trump plus the affiliate groups. So, it's, yeah, it's a good question. It says right here, the Foreign President's Joint Fundraising Committee. Yeah, the JFC. Yeah. Uh, raked in more than $35 million. That figures about twice the $18.8 million that that committee raised in the first quarter of the year. The uh, joint fundraising committee is split between two entities, Trump's official campaign and his political action committee, Save America. Yeah, the distinction there, I think, is important for people who listen or are watching on YouTube. We love that people are subscribing to YouTube. Many people are saying it's the best YouTube that's out there. Yeah. It sure is. What is that YouTube it's like, just ruthless podcast. If you just put it in there on on YouTube, you'll find it. No sub domain needed. But you do. You should hit the subscribe button. You should definitely hit the subscribe button. As Smug likes to say, we have exclusive content on there, and it's. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Um. But it is. It, it's important for people who are listening or watching to know that this is rolled up. Like this isn't just the campaign itself. This is also, you know, the Safe America entity, and uh, that's. I mean, that's a huge haul. I'm not trying to discount it at all. But as we, you know, in the conversation we had last week, the most important thing that we noticed here in some of these early reservations for TV advertising is the discrepancy between candidate campaigns and the super PACs, right? Mm -hmm. And that those super PACs had to pay sometimes three, four, five times the market rate, that the, the lowest rate that the candidate campaigns get. So when you're in, you know, an environment like in Iowa, um, you know, where inventory, the number of ads that are available to be bought it might not be that large, you end up in a situation where that candidate money is in high, high, high demand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, but it's, it's, it's further evidence that the Trump campaign is more organized than anybody knows. I th yeah, I think, again, that case is made. It says right here, the official did not break down how much of the $35 million plus went to the campaign and how much went to the PAC. But the most recent fundraising solicitations direct 90% of each donation to the campaign and the remaining 10% to the PAC. So, yeah. So, I mean, look, it's a, it's a huge, huge haul. And, um, you know, related, I, I saw some of the early uh, Senate numbers from 
Adam Schiff, who put up like an absolutely obscene fundraiser they, for the, that California primary where Democrats are just at each other's yeah. throats. Yeah, and you know, he raised an t- absolute ton of money uh, right after he was censured by the, the House Representatives. So what you're seeing here, I think, in a lot of the small dollar fundraising, because we've known this for a very long time, mm-hmm. is that sort of like, you know, the bad news is what motivates people the most mm-hmm. to give when they feel like you're under threat and under assault. Uh, that's when they open the wallets. And for Donald Trump, that's obviously happened both in New York and in this federal indictment, right? And so if you support somebody... It's it's weird. It's sort of the perverse incentives um, sometimes that you, you encounter in small dollar fundraising, where you know you can succeed the most when the world's on fire. Mm. You know, which isn't necessarily the best yeah. best system that yeah. we've set up here, um, but it is what it is. I mean, that's a great comparison between the two. Um, that this is not like a uniquely Trump thing. This is no. kind of like defending your team, right? Kind of mm. thing motiv- is really motivating those small dollars. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, guys, this thing from WAPO, I got to read it because it's absolutely absurd. Four ways to make your BBQ grill better for your health and the environment this summer. Okay. Oh, so Here not, we enough, go. not enough to block out the sun. They're going to now lecture us about barbecuing. Oh, boy. Uh, so here in the United States, most charcoal brands are above board. And you don't need to sweat your grill's greenhouse gas emissions. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that. we were sweating that. Yeah. They're minuscule. Grills and barbecues in the United States generate just 0.0003% of overall annual emissions. What you put on the grill is more important than how you fire it up. Mm. Meat. Yeah, they're like meat. meat. <laughs> At least how most of it is raised today drives 57% of all food production emissions much of that from beef. I mean, so they're saying that 57% of food emissions are from meat, and that's just like a travesty I, somehow. I, oh, yeah. That's the problem. I here. just, I. Oh, Holmes? Oh, hold on. Hold, hold, hold you want to, hold on. <laughs> what is going this on is just, here? This is just, you're just going to interrupt the program. Hold on one second. Do we want to, you want to plug them in, or you want me just holding the mic? Okay, you want to just break up our show here, pal? Yeah, you have the. Well, you know, listen. It's not like you were informing people who didn't even in our. I'm calling in because I want to make sure that you guys are keeping it tight. Yeah, I think you know we're having a very good well, conversation we among conservatives. We were keeping <laughs> it. We were keeping it tight until we were keeping it tight till we got a random call on the cell phone. You know, I. Well, I you know. Look, I just want to point out that you phone banked me. When I was at O'Hare, and we had this conversation, you know, prior to starting the show, that we didn't want to interrupt. We didn't want to interrupt our friend Josh Holmes, and here he is interrupting us. Well, it's been my commitment to the program. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I understand that you're in a busy airport, and there's all kinds of beers to drink and people to hang out with, and you can't think about the listeners <laughs> of the program. But here I am on the beach, uh, stepping away from my family oh thank I, you for I, your I service deserve, yeah i think people deserve the real stuff you know and uh so i'm giving it all i got <laughs> well I, I i appreciate it pal do you have a good fourth i had a great fourth we were down here uh at Boldhead island which if you haven't been there don't come because it's a great secret <laughs> <laughs> thank you for announcing it to, to hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> everyone goes straight to Boldhead <laughs> yeah. island well, it was terrific, and um, and we had a blast. Awesome fireworks. Kids seem to be enjoying themselves. It's just a, it's a lovely, lovely time. I haven't had a you know a real beach vacation in a long time, so I kind of like it. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I, I I'm glad you're able to have that. Um, but your friends here got to get back to work. Yeah. So we showed up to work, but I hope you what enjoyed you, the beach. What are you talking? First of all, covered the cocaine. Have you covered the cocaine? We covered right off the top. We covered the cocaine. It was the it was the lead, pal. We covered it. Well, you have to cover it. And first of all, do you see the the explanation that they've given that, that it's in a highly trafficked area of the White House, and so therefore they have no way of knowing who could have put it yeah, in a about, drawer that contains electronics. We, we, did, uh, we did about 10 minutes on that. We thought it was uh, highly unlikely that a teacher from the Midwest who's taken their 8th eighth, <laughs> grade class field trip uh, is going to pass three rounds of security and, and leave some yak on the ground. 
Also, I, I appreciate the fact that at, at this point we've become C-SPAN. It's like, random drunk caller, what are your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you watch your tongue, You're going to go out of town soon. I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> Would, uh, you have any good uh, uh, drinks or pops down there? A lot of good pops, a lot of good drinks. They they do a nice nice frozen drink down here, all kinds of different flip flavors and that kind of thing. Got a nice little golf course that I got out on once or twice. Uh, you know, and it, everything's everything's pretty good. One thing I did learn, fellas, and I don't know if you guys have known this. Do you know what the origins of Jello are? I did not. We did not know that. No, no idea. Like the historical origins, or what makes up Jello. Well, it's both. It's one and the same. It's like, how did they invent Jello and like what? Isn't it's it, isn't it hooves? It's hooves. Yeah, right. So I thought. Wait, I what? Thought yeah, it's animal hooves. Heard, no. Yeah, hooves. hooves. Yeah. Get out of here. And, yeah. And so I, I I did a little research. Yeah, because people are saying uh, the Jello is actually made out of hooves, and I'm like, is that a horse hoof or a like a cow hoof? What kind of hoof are we talking about here? And so I did a little research. It turns out it's a collagen-based product mm -hmm. that uh, was first invented when a guy bought, like, an animal render. And, uh, and so he had hooves and things like that. And uh, it, it's actually, like, the big bones of a, of a horse or a cow. Wait, wait a so minute. So you can if get, it's... like, a Kentucky Derby Jello, is what you're saying. Yeah. Like, that's what we're gunning 100%. for. How did? 100%, how, that's what I'm talking about. How was it like, that you, next derby, every horse that dies, mint julep jello? I don't understand. I don't understand how they can. I don't understand how they can make bones jiggle so much. I mean, did you ever see the Bill Cosby commercial? There, no, nobody sold Jello better than Bill Cosby. I think that's a guy who was a bit yeah. too much into fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys don't want it to. You, you, you're gonna not, not a fan. <laughs> Well, no, but you don't have to be a fan. Jiggle and jiggle is anything we ought to get into. Yeah, it's a family program. Yeah. Okay. But, but it was a it was a commercial. Somehow somebody took a belt sander to a horse femur, and the next thing you know, we had Jello pudding pops. <laughs> so I'm telling you, next year we should we should take this show to the Kentucky Derby, and any horse that croaks, we get mint julep jellos right there for for all the minions who are there in the crowd. 100%. That's got to be know done. What the process is, Smug. I mean, it's possible. It sounds like a belt a sander and some jello mix will get the job done. <laughs> I think that might be it. We need, we need some further clarification, but I think that's you're on to that. I, I'm, I'm all for it. And I think those kind of jello shots with a little, a little bourbon in it would just be terrific. Well, that sounds like a plan to me, man. Well, you know, I appreciate the call. Pal and uh, and uh, are, are you guys play, are you are you are you playing King of the Hill or I guess I'm defending champs so you can't. Huh? Uh, no, we're we're gonna you know maybe we'll have something else here. I don't want to spoil it for the listeners, but you know we, we may have something else. Huh? Okay. <laughs> I'm prepared to play it whenever. So <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll just retain the title. I'll keep the belt on. I'll I'll walk it around bald head here. Well, you know, what I appreciate most is you called in, you miss your friends, and we miss you too, yep. pal. I miss you dearly. Uh, enjoy your rest of your show, gentlemen. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you. See ya. Again, uh -oh. we're like officially the C-SPAN. What a nice, yeah. <laughs> what, a, what, a ni what a nice surprise. What a nice surprise. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I like it. Um, okay, so... <laughs> Hopping back just to, to just to get the train back on the tracks here. We were talking about how, according to uh, Washington Post, uh, the meat is the problem. Yeah. Uh, again, like this is another example of the genre of like how liberals celebrate the Fourth of July is they just want to be the wet blanket. Like yeah. mm -hmm. no one should be allowed to enjoy themselves. The libs are like, oh, don't you guys know I'm a miserable person? I want to make you miserable now too. Like it, whether it's Cory Bush being like. How dare anyone celebrate this holiday when the Constitution and the Founding Fathers yeah. were all racists? You know, it's yeah. like someone's got to show up. Some lives got to show up and just try to ruin everyone yeah, ben, having you, a good time. You saw the Ben and Jerry's tweet that we're living on stolen land. Yeah. Meanwhile, no mention from Ben and Jerry's about how they're going to give their corporate their corporate property over to like indigenous people. Of course not. Of course, because right. it's easier to tweet or be an asshole like the Washington Post here than actually try to make any sort of a difference that helps people. Because being like, listen, 
I know you're with your families and, and you're grilling and your, your kids are, are having great memories of you spending time with them. But here's why that's bad mm-hmm. because I'm mad. So like, uh, I, I have, I have cats it's, and I'm childless and I don't want. I actually else have a, I, I actually have a theory about this. I think I may have mentioned it previously, but every holiday you get something of this variety of how terrible said holiday is for the environment and. I really believe it's because these libs hate their families and never want to travel to have to see them, that they have to ruin every holiday. You know, like where they always say, oh, well, you know, uh, all those greenhouse gas emissions from traveling for Thanksgiving or X, Y, Z reasons why Christmas is a bad holiday Mm -hmm. is just their way of being like, I don't want to travel and see my family. Yeah. You know, yeah. like <laughs> a lot of these journos are living in Brooklyn, their apartment subsidized by their dad, but they can't even put in the effort to go see the guy. You know, it's unbelievable. Like it, 99% of their rage is just like internalized, angry family issues. <laughs> we're like, now everyone should suffer. Like I was always the terrible child. No one liked having me around. And now everyone's going to feel my pain. Yeah. Ashbrook, you going to defend your buddies? Who? Your, your journal buddies. The journos. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's what I'm gonna do. Okay. So uh, let's let's move on here uh, to you know I what I think is probably some of the biggest news of the entire year, mm-hmm. and that is uh, you know the incredible news that came out of the Supreme Court over the last week. Um, <clears throat> we obviously saw it with um, the decision on uh, Creative 303 or 303 Creative. I can't remember which one it was, but the religious liberty decision that came down. You you had the court invalidating affirmative action in the Harvard case. Um, and then you had, um, you know, the Supreme Court striking down Biden's student loan forgiveness program. So, I mean, you had three huge monumental uh, cases that were big victories for people who defend the Constitution. Huge, um, huge wins. Let's, let's start with the, the, the student loan forgiveness program. Sure. I would not call that monumental. I think that everybody, including Joe Biden, knew that when that was announced, it was going to be struck down by the Supreme Court. It didn't matter if, if this is a, a court that was reshaped by uh, Mitch McConnell with the help of Donald Trump as president. It doesn't matter if, 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 if that occurs. What he suggested about everybody who's a taxpayer footing the bill for student yeah. loans was not constitutional to begin with. They all knew it. It was a political ploy to help them in and the midterms. It, even in uh, the Supreme Court and the decision, they cited Nancy Pelosi in 2021 being like frustrated during a press conference, being like, listen, the president can't just decide student loans go away, okay? Right. Like exactly. Congress has to vote for that to happen. Exactly. So, so they cited her exact words of like, listen, right. this is illegal for a president to decide you know, I'm going to try and buy votes by just making uh, these people's loans disappear for them and go on the back of taxpayers. Yeah, right. So that ruling might be in a little different. I don't. Category. I don't disagree with you on that, though. I, I just, as somebody who likes seeing the executive be reined in, mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate the precedent that it sets. That you can't just broadly interpret these statutes and say I can do anything as president of the United States. So that's yep. why I really love that that decision happened. Yeah, I want to. I want to for the affirmative action. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Justice, you know, Ketanji Brown Jackson had her dissent on that. Yeah. And then Justice Thomas cited her words. In, in his writing, and I, I mean, this is brilliant. I just had to read this. It says, accordingly, Justice Jackson's race-infused worldview falls flat at each step. Mm. Individuals are the sum of their unique experiences, challenges, and accomplishments. What matters is not the barriers they face, but how they choose to confront them. Mm. And their race is not to blame for everything, good or bad, that happens in their lives. A contrary Myopic worldview based on individual skin color to the total exclusion of their personal choices is nothing short of racial determinism. Yeah. That's it. it. And this is a guy who spoke from experience. That's, I mean, right? like, absolutely brilliant. In, in, nice. in, you remember we, we did that great interview with Amul Thabar mm-hmm. and, um, you know, because he's got that great book book about Justice Thomas. And, and, you know, one of the things that Thomas wrote about a lot was he thought one of the most insidious things he witnessed in his upbringing was when he finally, you know, got to college into the Ivy League, no less, that the most pervasive thing he witnessed were these smug liberals mm-hmm. who assumed 
that this man is is really there because of affirmative action. It made them feel superior. They, they were taking credit for his yeah, success. For his success, mm -hmm. right? And so this, this is, is a, what libs do. Right. And this is a guy who who's witnessed that sort of perverse, subtle racism his whole life and informed his entire um, judicial philosophy. And so, you know, I think I think there's no but you can't look at a guy like Justice Thomas and say he doesn't know what happens in a world of affirmative action. Mm -hmm. Like he he's lived it. He's the living proof that is it's a failed ideology that shouldn't inform how we put people in college mm -hmm. you know and, and okay so uh we covered those two cases but but this 303 creative case mm -hmm. this is the religious liberty case of the the web designer who didn't want to build the website for the gay couple because of the expressive nature of their work right like this isn't a public accommodation law this is i have to do in my job express a opinion about this and you know we saw this previously in the obama administration where you know masterpiece cake shop where they're like no bake the cake you were forced to bake the cake you have to bake the cake you know we got to sue the nuns to make sure that they provide um you know um contraceptive birth con controls yeah right um and now we've seen a reversal in this court now that we have this this uh, conservative majority and uh, the libs have just light, you know, they're lighting their hair on fire about it. It's insane. So the thing is, is that it's very clear and basic what has happened here. It's that you cannot force labor upon someone else. Essentially, you cannot be like, you are going to do what I tell you to. How is that a controversial idea? Right. I mean, in a free country, how is that controversial? And the fact that the left is like, no, you will be forced to adopt our ideology or we will use the full force of government to come after you, well, which has become their ideology, whole, whole part. And there was also a lot of background here. The statute that was passed in Colorado forced people to not only uh, engage in speech that they might not support, but then also the other, all these, the, you have to take these classes on sense. I mean, like the government was going to make, make, make people take classes on sensitivity training and all these sorts of things. It was absolutely absurd. It's insanity. It's insanity. So thank God for the Supreme Court. Anyway, that brings us to the news here, uh, the Washington Post. And the title is Biden faces renewed pressure to embrace Supreme Court overhaul. Oh, overhaul. gosh. Overhaul. It's just an overhaul. Yeah. Just going to do, do a little tinkering under the hood. And, and <laughs> so this is, I mean, I've come back to this often because i think this is probably the most important fight that we can be engaged in right now as conservatives our last line of defense to hold this country together to defend the constitution to have individual liberty is the supreme court that's all we have defending our rights at this point yeah and that is exactly the same place that the left has trained all their guns at in some cases literally you saw a left-wing lunatic try to assassinate justice kavanaugh after the Dodds leak uh, on, on, on abortion. Yeah. The left is trying to pack the court. That's what all this has been about. They've mm -hmm. been putting falsehoods out there about, uh, the, the, about this is an ethics issue. These justices are corrupt. That's all been disproven. And, and when you had uh, justice come out and pre-butt the smear campaign, they were irate. Yeah, you, they think, were you think it, you know, if you listen to this or you're watching this, you think it's a coincidence yep. that all these articles dropped right before all these decisions? Yep. No, no I mean, this shit was wired up from the fucking beginning. It's not a coincidence at all. And I think it's an important point to make that this is coming from the far left. The Washington Post, who is writing on behalf of Brian Fallon, who used to be a press secretary for Chuck Schumer and now runs a left-leaning group that is trying to change the... the they want to pack the courts. They want to pack the courts. So the Washington Post writes, as Democrats reel from another painful set of defeats at the Supreme Court in recent weeks, Michael Duncan probably noticed the fact that they, they pull out Democrats reeling from defeats as if this is a political question. Exactly. Right? The Supreme Court looks at constitutional issues and rules based on the Constitution. The Washington Post is reframing this as a political issue yep. to try to fire up the lefties Bingo. because the Washington Post is right along with them ideologically. 100%. Right. Great, great, great point. So here's one other thing I'd like to point out about this article. So they're basing, they're saying, let me I'll just go on to say that President Biden is facing renewed pressure from a range of elements in his party, from liberal lawmakers to abortion rights activists to more forcefully embrace far-reaching changes to the high court. And one of the things I found interesting is the evidence they present for this 
supposed renewed pressure from a range of elements in his party. They list a handful of libs, Don Beyer, Ro Khanna, two far left members of their party. And then they go on to say, in another illustration of the issue's growing potency within the party, three leading Democratic candidates for U.S. Senate from California, Adam Schiff, Barbara Lee, and Katie Porter, have all embraced expanding the court. They're like, a California Democrat primary yeah, is like exactly. where all of us should be getting our views from. Yeah, like, this is the evidence right. that it's a grow, there's a growing chorus of Democrats or people who are left of center. This is, this is a far-left phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, it but, is. I mean, you, you hate to see it, but in another way, you love to see it. You think John Tester wants to have this conversation? Not at all. You think Sherrod Brown wants? You think Joe Manchin wants to have this I, conversation? I don't, the, I don't see their names. Oh, that's so story. weird. And, and I think you know, like Ashbrook says, to show how fringe this is by them saying that, like, as Democrats, real trying to get them all under one banner, yeah, like, oh, this is right. Democrats thing. This is a very far left idea, and the, the the reason for that is this is an agenda being pushed by far left dark money groups. Right. It's these left wing billionaires who want to like like George Soros, mm-hmm. who went after prosecutors, who they want to completely control every aspect of society. And so they fund these groups that push this kind of nonsense, mm-hmm. like pack the courts. Anyone with, 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 you know, in their right mind knows that adding more justices to the Supreme Court completely destroys the whole idea of how checks and balances work in this country. They know right. this. Brian Fallon, who runs Demand Justice, that's a left-wing group. He's a Harvard-educated guy. He's a very smart guy, former Schumer staffer. He is a hard lefty. These groups are very hard left, and they want to change America. These are the kinds of groups that would be behind shitting all over July 4th. Right. Saying, And these these are the kind of groups who have actually funded those protesters, the people who are illegally besieging the homes of where the justices and their families live. To this day, for over a year, the conservative justices have had lunatics outside their home, even after... One of them attempted to assassinate Justice Kavanaugh. They have to live with that mob outside their homes, and they are funded by groups like Demand Justice. Yeah, but but thankfully, the Senate majority does not run through California. It, no, run, it does not. runs through Montana and Ohio and West Virginia and places like that. And I got to say, man, I love that they're pushing this because it's going to put those Dems in red states in very uncomfortable positions that they're going to have to squirm over here. For the next 18 months and you know i just love to see that no no i do i do too i do too and it's 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 honestly refreshing it's we're in, we're living in a country where libs have seized nearly every institution they've seized the mainstream media they've seized universities they've now seized two they've seized a branch and a half of the government yeah republicans have the house of representatives and Americans have a Supreme Court that reflects them. Yep. You know, and so like it's it's very nice to for an average American to be able to look up at the Supreme Court and say they 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 look and think a little bit more like me than any other aspect or any other institution in this country right now. Well, you know who doesn't think like us uh, is the journalist. That's right. <laughs> of course they don't. Um, and uh, you know because we had these incredible decisions of the Supreme Court. Um, and we don't have Josh Holmes with us here to play King of the Hill, I thought it only made sense today to play Demer Journo. Excellent. So let's let's, uh, let's... let's let's play. Let's do it. Let's go to that music. Demer Journo, 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 nobody knows. Oh, it's great. It's great. We haven't played this game in so long. It's been a while. It's been too long. Um, For our new listeners, or the listeners who came in through uh, Megyn Kelly's show, as we saw in the five stars, uh, just to explain the rules again, Smug and Ashbrook are going to be our contestants here in the game. And I'm going to read four statements, three of which have been made by journalists and one that's been made by a Democrat. And they have to decide... Who is the Democrat? Mm, it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. It's very tough. All right, so all these are themed here uh, on the, the SCOTUS verdicts. And I also want to reiterate, um, 
you know, I am definitely an underdog here because Ashbrook is friends with all these journos. So when he's hanging out with them, you know, they maybe talk like maybe this. they helped him. Maybe he helped them, right? That's the thing. So things. you know, I'm I'm really happy to go at him. Let's see how this goes. Okay. So statement uh, number one, and this is on the affirmative action uh, case, and this is responding to the quote unquote model minority myth. Mm. Um, this is about Asian Americans who were, of course, the plaintiffs here in this case before. Uh, Harvard, quote, the myth ignores the long legacies of systemic racism faced by black Americans. It ignores selective recruiting of highly educated immigrants. And it enforces a false story about Asian Americans who are not a monolith. Not a monolith, but, but, but. But apparently black Americans are a monolith. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing is this is eventually what happens when you try to put everyone in your racial bucket yeah, for it's, your agenda. It's, 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 it's you're, what you're witnessing is the failure of the inter intersectionality of, yeah. of the leftist uh, coalition, right? It's like, like, don't you realize that Asians are individuals? And it's like, interesting. Yeah, wow. So you want to judge individuals. Oh, wow. Interesting. So interesting. Uh, this is also on the affirmative action case. Second, second. Yes, yeah, statement number two. The court's conservative supermajority for white men, one white woman, and Justice Clarence Thomas. <laughs> Incredible. Ruled that affirmative action programs, quote, unavoidably employ race in a negative manner, and quote, involve racial stereotyping, quote, end quote violating the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. Wait, so this person is contending that the Supreme Court is violating equal, equal protection? Oh, no, no this person is, is um, trying to point out that white people decided this, and then... Um, the decision violates equal protection. Affirmative action does not. This person... That's what they're... That's this, what they're this person is deciding to single out Justice Clarence Thomas, and not mention Justice Clarence Thomas's race, but mention four white men and one white woman. Oh. Yeah. And, and, mm. and Justice Clarence Thomas. Like, it's incredible. He, yeah, he it's gets his... Erasing him. Yeah, he, he gets his own uh, dependent clause there. <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> All right, statement number three. The Supreme Court is far overreaching their authority, and I believe, frankly that we really need to be having conversations about judicial review mm -hmm. as a check on the courts as well. Statement number four, and this is on um, the 303 creative case. The Supreme Court just made it possible for private businesses to discriminate against people like me simply because they fear that they might have to do something that no one asked them to do. Incredible. Incredible. And those are your four statements, fellas. This is tough. Michael, this might be the hardest one ever. This is yeah, these are these are pretty tough. I think I think I have a good idea. Should we go in order? Um, I'll I'll give my by secure ballot, I'll let uh Duncan know which one I think is the dem. Okay. Okay. All right. Um and this is this is totally a guess here. By secure ballot, I will. Do I need to go secure ballots? Yeah, sure. What well, do you want to open it to the floor, pal? You want to have any discussion? I would like to. Can I hear number one what, uh, again? Sure. This uh, again is on the model minority myth, mm. quote unquote, model minority myth referring to Asian Americans. <clears throat> quote: The myth ignores the long legacies of systemic racism faced by Black Americans. It ignores selective recruiting of highly educated immigrants, and it enforces a false story about Asian Americans who are not a monolith. Hmm. Man, this is, this is a very, very... For not a monolith, they spend a lot of time talking about monoliths. Yes, they do. That uh, Asian Americans are highly educated immigrants... That's the, that's a whole that all, that all Black Americans are victims of systemic racism. It's very interesting. That's why this completely fell apart. Is yeah. because the the whole reason of getting rid of affirmative action is the idea that individuals should be judged individually, 
It's it doesn't like that, say that now Asian Americans should get preference. It's yeah. that an, in every individual should be decided on their merits. It's their like that whole, merits. That, that whole content of your character thing there. Right? And, oh, and, and then, then you have a journalist who's like, wait a minute, these are monoliths. It's like, exactly. Yeah. It's almost like you should judge individuals individually. You played yourself. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> so I, I guess I gave it away. I thought number one was a journo. Okay. That was my guess. How about you, Ashbrook? Until I heard it the second time. Okay. I thought number one was a journo. But after hearing it and after hearing the explanation and thinking about it in context of the other three statements, I actually think number one is, is a Democrat. Interesting. Wow. All right. So we got split right off the back. Uh, so you had number one as, as number, your Democrat? I have number one right now. Could you reread, Duncan, number three? The Supreme Court is far overreaching their authority, and I believe, frankly, that we really need to be having conversations about judicial review as a check on the courts as well. So that is, I believe, when they said that, so I believe strikes me as something like an advocate or an operative would say. And in this case, specifically something like one of these demand justice type groups that we just discussed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess number three is the dem. But they just want to have conversations, Smug. Just, just a conversation <laughs> about destroying the Constitution. Just a little conversation. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Ashbrook, you're number one I'm saying, I'm as just being gonna, the dem. I'm going to say number one. And Smug, you said number three. Number so, although it's very confusing. Yeah. It's, it's, it is so hard to tell which is the Democrat and which it is really the is. Because always, they're yeah. all probably voting for the same president. Oh, yeah. I, I, I like playing this game around 10-pole events, like SCOTUS mm -hmm. decisions and things like that. Because, totally. you know, everybody's got their take out there and they're all dog shit. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's go to two first because neither one picked pick two. This is um, the the court's conservative majority, four white men, one white woman, and Clar <laughs> Justice Clarence Thomas, sort of erasing his race. Not even Democrats erase Thomas in the way that the lib journos erase mm -hmm. Thomas. And that is from a, a journalist, Jonathan Capehart. Uh, incredible. And uh, then number four, and I appreciate that neither of you picked two or four. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Supreme Court just made it possible for pri private business to discriminate against people like me. That's also Jonathan Capehart. <laughs> so so I, when he said like me, I was like, every journalist, that's their favorite topic. Like me. Themselves. Yeah, they make, 100%. They, you, they make it about This them. is about me, of course. I, I'm not here to report so, news. Everything's about me. Yeah. So, Ironically, more so than the politicians in this town. That that's funny? right. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's all about me. It's like that meme of the person pointing at themselves in the mirror and they're like, you make this up. You get in there and you make this about yourself. <laughs> right, right. Uh, um, okay, so so we're down to number one or number three. Number one, the myth ignores the long legacy of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Zendaya Dirks from NPR. Mm. NPR. And number three, Smug, you are correct, mm. is the Dem. And that was AOC. No kidding. Yeah. Will you, will you read that one one more time? The Supreme Court is far overreaching their authority, and I believe, frankly, that we really need to be having conversations about judicial review as a check on the courts as well. I mean, that is horrific that you've got elected officials who are saying we need a check on the court when the whole purpose of the Constitution is establishing the checks and balances as they are. They're like, uh-uh, we need another check. Yeah. But the, but the I believe we need to. That's that's the giveaway. That's mm. the tell. That's that's what should have told me that it was a Democrat. I I thought number one was was a Democrat simply because I I know that uh, the esteemed uh, uh, Michael Duncan's ability to hide the obvious behind something that you might not expect, and um, that's why I chose one because of that. And you know, I, I have to say it's it's a big deal that I won that, especially given that you are friends with all these people, <laughs> you hang out with them constantly, and I still managed to overcome. <laughs> Uh, really happy to get that incredible, w. incredible victory, Smug. Um, you really, yeah, did yourself with that one. One more story that we got to hit here, fellas. Yes, important, very important. You know, I've been accused of being soft on the Orca Menace. In in the in the you know five stars today. Yeah, you know, I know I've yeah I got a you, soft you spot. have you have been soft on the killer whales. First killer of whales. All, you're calling they're calling them orcas. You're using their talking points. No, I'm 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 using the language here of the Science Times. Let me read the headline here. Orca repeatedly attacked a yacht off the coast of Scotland. First attack in northern waters raises concerns of spreading trend. Here we go. 
They use they use the word orca. They're and also trying to cover up the the menace that is the killer whales. The killer whales. And, and and right here, I think this is a huge story. There's now no part of the world essentially safe from the menace of killer whales. Mm-hmm. Now off of the coast of St- Scotland, first attack in northern waters raises concerns of spreading trend. I think uh, those concerns are it's beyond concerns. We now have scientific evidence that the killer whales are trying to kill people. It's mm-hmm. in their name. It's mm-hmm. what they do. And we need to start going on the offense. Instead of being defensive, it's like every day we're hearing a story of another bunch of folks on a ship just getting attacked for absolutely mm-hmm. no reason by killer whales. At what point are we going to stop being on defense and wondering who's going to be the next to die and get attacked by this menace and start going on the offense mm-hmm. and saying, okay, we see this as a menace. Let's get the whalers out there. Let's get the harpoons out there. Let's let's tap into a renewable resource. Let's get the damn whales. I totally agree with you, Smug, and we've talked about this a lot on the program in the past, but there is too, there are too many factions in our society who focus only on the animal. We here at the Variety Program focus on the people. We have an organization yep. that is loosely affiliated <laughs> with our show called People for the Ethical Treatment of People. Do you think yep. we need to set up a 501c3? I think we should. <laughs> I absolutely think we should. And we need to get the whalers out. We need to get the harpoons out. We need to sell the oil of these killer whales as a premium marketplace product. Can you imagine teaching your child to read whatever book you choose by the light of an oil that was from this whale who tried to kill your family? I mean, that's man. a memory that lasts a lifetime. And they make perfume. Ambergris, the the bla- the all the blubber, right? It, you can make perfumes. You can do all sorts of things. And also, just like the amount of 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 meat, you know, you mm-hmm. could feed the homeless if you. So you could feed the homeless. I got in trouble uh, because I had a, a far left teacher in, in a science course, and so when we were writing uh, our final paper on any, you know, it, it had to be specifically on environmental science. We picked the topic; it was a huge portion of our grade. I did the math, mm-hmm. and all these projections at the time of rising sea levels, I, I, I put together numbers of how many whales there are currently swimming in the oceans, yeah. right? And then their average volume. Mm-hmm. So if you were to kill all the whales, bring them onto land, chop them up, use oil and whatever, it offsets all the projection, projections out there for rising sea levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this is the solution everyone can get behind. It's the classic surface area to volume ratio. Yeah. And so, you know, she gave me a terrible grade for that. But that's the thing is they want to protect. You're solving problems. Yeah, they want to protect the animals when they are the problem. Well, You've we, got the killer whales trying to kill people. We mm-hmm. shouldn't be protect, protecting them hear color from the article. I think this is fascinating. Wim Rutten, a retired Dutch physicist and captain of the yacht, expressed his fear in an interview to the Guardian of the, the powerful animal's loud breathing during the unsettling encounter. In the interview, the retired physicist and captain of the yacht described how the orca stayed behind the boat before disappearing and then re- returning at a faster speed, circling him. They remember. Rutan felt, quote, soft shocks created by the mammal as it made contact with the alum- aluminum hull of the yacht. Rutan immediately made a connection to the recent orca attacks along the Spanish and Portuguese coast, particularly in the Strait of Gibraltar. They're learning. They are learning. And one of the things that I feel like our government needs to do, and in, in the government, obviously the Scottish government, in addition to mandating that you have life jackets on each of these boats, you need to have an adequate supply of cork on the boat <laughs> so that you can just plug that blowhole. If it, if it comes alongside, plug it. I mean, it's I, not coming back up. I think, I think this is harpoon time. Like everyone, Yeah, where's you, Captain right. Ahab when if, you need him? If, if, you, if you have a boat out there on the water, if you're in the ocean at all, off the beaches, wherever you are, have a harpoon, at least a few on you, right? Mm-hmm. And it's time to, to, to fight back. It says right here in this article, last month alone, USA Today reported 20 orca, their killer whale, incidents in those waters. It says the majority of the recent killer whale attacks have been concentrated in the seas south of Spain. It says, but scientists suspect the recent trend of killer whale attacks on boats may be the result of learned behavior being spread within killer whale pods they're teaching each other yeah this is just, this is just terrorism i'm, sh- I'm shocked they didn't blame climate change yeah Dude, I, that is honestly surprising the 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 liberal media will look to absolutely every excuse yeah. that they can make for these killer animals that they can possibly come up with they are let, guys just listen to me for one second they are against people 
the liberal media is against people. They want to block the sun. They want to. They want to block the sun. They want to stick up for the dog who killed its owner. They want to stick up for the hog who killed its. Butcher. They don't want meat they, on our grills on the Fourth of July. They don't. And if you feel like the liberal media does not have your back as a human being, if you feel like they're against you, I want you to think of this. Call me Ishmael. <laughs> okay, this program has your back. It's time. What it's an time inc- to fight back. What an incredible way to end today's show, fellows. I think we did it. I think we did it. You know, outstanding work, everybody. Happy 4th of July for all our listeners. Absolute banger of an episode, if I may say so myself. Again, thank you so much to the Minions, especially those subscribing on our YouTube, those hitting up our store.ruthlesspodcast.com for the merch. So until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.